Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Thank you. I'm going to pick it up in verse 16 and read through chapter 5, verse 10. 2 Corinthians 4, beginning in verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart, but though our outward man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. For we know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For indeed, in this house we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven, inasmuch as we, having put it on, will not be found naked. For indeed, while we are in this tent, we groan being burdened because we do not want to be unclothed, but to be clothed so that what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. Now he who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave to us the Spirit as a pledge. Therefore, being always of good courage and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. And we are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be home with the Lord. Therefore, we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father and God, we thank you and praise you again that our chains have been set free. That, Father, we are no longer bound by sin, those who have come by faith to Jesus Christ. We thank you and praise you that we've been able to rejoice in these songs that we've sung this morning about your amazing love. Father, yet as we've been studying, even in Peter, and recognize that while citizens of heaven, we still have a pilgrimage here on earth. And Father, it's our desire to be pleasing to you, and we pray that you'd help us to do that. And as we study the word of God, might it challenge our thinking, might it remind us of who we are and who we belong to. And Father, might you open up the hearts of those who might not know Christ, that they might see that this is just a journey, and one day they too will appear before you. And we pray, Father, that they might come to Christ. Thank you for the opportunity to study the word of God. We commit our study with thanksgiving in Jesus' name. Amen. I've entitled this morning's message right up front uh, there, as you can, I think it was in a bulletin, I'm not sure. What is your ambition for 2015? 
It's kind of amazing, isn't it? At least it is to me. 2014 is just about over. Where did it go? It seems, uh, you know, you hear this when you're younger, and for those of you that are still young, uh, I know the feeling that you have. Oh, yeah, I hear this all the time. Life goes by so fast, and for you, you just can't wait to either get out of elementary school or high school or get married or what it is, and it seems like an eternity ahead of you. But it's true, as you get older, things fly by a lot faster. And as we come to the end of a year, the close of a year, it is not uncommon for all of us. We certainly will see it on the news. We will see it in the computer. Uh, it'll be all around us. People will be talking about it. A total reflection on what happened the past year, whether it be good or whether it be bad. It is very common for us to do that. And uh, that's okay to do. And it's good to take inventory, to take a look. And oftentimes it results in as we know, res, uh, you know, resolutions that we want to do or we don't want to do, goals that we set, we want to <clears throat> have a better diet, we want to exercise more, uh, we want to buy a new home, we want to get married, we want to graduate uh, the coming year. Um, we set goals as believers, we want to read the word of God more, we want to be witnessing more for Christ, and we set a number of goals uh, for ourselves. And uh, oftentimes we start off well, but as we progress in time, like with anything else, just like the Christmas presents that some of you probably got last week, already they're old, you know, because, you know, the, the kids are amazing, you know, they play with one thing and put it away, and it was the best thing in the world, they had to have it, and after a week they don't need it anymore. Uh, it just happens, and so it's not a bad thing to do that, and today I want to have us take a time as individuals and as a church for a moment to talk about our, to talk about your, to talk about my, if you will, ambition for 2015. For some, this may be your last year. We don't know. Uh, for any one of us, that could be true. So we want to take a look at what our ambition is, and I want to make it very simple because the Word of God does that, I believe, for us. So when we talk about ambition, let me just give a little bit of background here, even to this word ambition and, and the use that Paul has for it as it appears in the word of God. Uh, when you look back, at, first of all, with the Greek word there, it comes from a compound word that Paul used here, meaning to love, honor, to love, honor. And um, as you look back to the Latin use of the word and you look back as to how it was used in ancient times, I think that's important for us to understand a little bit of that background because it is even reflected in the English dictionaries that we have today, no matter what your source might be, unless it's just Wikipedia, and that's, that could be anything. But uh, as you look at sources, it usually had a negative connotation. We don't think of it maybe that way today, but it did because it really had the idea from the word to go around something, to go around something. And even from the Webster Dictionary, I took this one just for quote, it put down, it's an ardent desire for rank or power. It is the seeking of power of per, or position or recognition. 
And that was really what was behind the word in ancient times. In fact, in the days of Rome, when Paul was writing, it was related to politicians. Probably the same today could be said. But related to politicians because they went around, and you can see where the root word came from, they went around canvassing for votes so that they could be elected to office. And in the time of Rome, this is what they did. And when they went around for uh, votes, they were talked about as being ambitious. And they were going around trying to get votes so that they could get into office. And it became associated with, it's interesting to do some of the reading on it, I found that it became associated with a person who had no moral convictions at the time Paul was around. And so when they talked about a person that was ambition, they immediately thought of a person who had no moral convictions, someone who simply wanted to promote themselves at any cost. And that's kind of the association it had. So it was not a very complimentary term in the days that Paul was writing. And yet in time, and in Paul's use of it, we see that it can have, as is true today, a good meaning to it as well as a bad sense, and it just depends really on the context. This word, ambition, was only used by the Apostle Paul three times in Scripture, and really he used it in the positive sense in the idea which the word became to mean, and that is to make it one's aim, or to target something as a goal. And that's what Paul was using it at, as. And he used it three times. He used it in verse 9, you'll see, that he said, therefore we also have as our ambition. We have as our, our target. We have as our goal. He used it two other times. I just want you to see them very quickly. Go with me to Romans 15, because he's only used these three times in Scripture. Romans 15. Paul always used it in a positive sense. In Romans chapter 15, in verse 20, he used the term. And in verse 20, we read, And thus I aspire, my translation uh, says here, the King James had the word labor, and thus I aspire to preach the gospel. He had it as his aim. He had it as his goal. He had it as his target to not just preach the gospel, but he says, not where Christ has already been named, so that I would not build on another man's foundation. So one of the targets, one of the aims, one of the goals that the Apostle Paul had was that in preaching the gospel, he just didn't want to go in where another person's work was, but he was looking for fresh territory. He was looking for where the gospel, much like we see with some of the mission boards today, who go into some areas where no mission has gone before. The other place is 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And let's just take a quick look there. So you'll see that Paul always used it in a positive sense in the three uses he had. In uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, he used it in verse 11, which is interesting because most of us know verses 13 to 18 dealing with the rapture. But before he got there, he said this in verse 11 of 1 Thessalonians 4. He says, and make it your ambition. I like the way the New American Standard translated that. Uh, the old the King James had the word study, and it really kind of doesn't give it the full emphasis of what the word really meant. Make it your ambition, what? To lead a quiet life and attend to your own business and work with your hands just as we commanded you. 
And he's in a context where he's dealing with purity and he's dealing with believers who basically would live for Christ. And he said, make it your ambition, make it a goal, make it a target to pay attention and to work hard, basically, and to be a testimony for Christ. So Paul used this all three times in a very positive sense of having a goal, having a target, and having an aim. Why? Before I get to the word and, and deal with it in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I believe because Paul tells us elsewhere why he had goals. And I want to ask you this morning, do you have any goals? Do you have any aims, any targets for 2015? Do you? Spiritually. Paul did not want to have an aimless life. In fact, on another occasion, Paul said he didn't just want to run a race where he was beating the air. And I think that is true sometimes with believers. Believers want to live for God, but they're basically beating the air. They're basically aimless. They're bouncing from thing to thing, and they have no goal, no target at all. Now, we talked about our college students. That should not be the case with a college student. A college student should have a goal, and it isn't just to get through the semester. It's to graduate with a degree, and it's, and it's a degree that's going to help them in their field. And, and they have a target that they're aiming for, and it takes a process of time. They don't run aimlessly. He, what they, Paul was not just waiting to die. Sometimes I feel in a Christian life, that's the way Christians are. They basically know they're a child of God. They're not afraid of death, per se, but they're just aimlessly wandering about, not even settled on what they're doing in their Christian life, have no idea where they're going, and from day to day just bouncing around with no targets and no goals. Well, what was the goal, what was the target that Paul had, and what should be our target for 2015? What should be my personal target? And I believe if you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, your target for 2015. Let me suggest to you verse 9 has the answer, and we'll get right to the target. What was his goal? What was his ambition? He tells us. Therefore... We also have as our ambition, he's including the Corinthian believers here, what? Whether at home or present, and here it is, to be pleasing to him. That is simple, and yet it's profound. That, I believe, should be, if you want to look to 2015, here is a great target for you. Here is a great goal. To be pleasing to God. To make God satisfied. That's the idea of pleasing. To literally, if you will, to make God smile as he's looking at you. As a child of God. Now he's going to do that anyway because of the cost that his son has played on our behalf. But to help see this little term here about pleasing. You know, we can come up with all kinds of complicated things first. For example... To read through the Bible in a year. That is a great goal, and I think that's a good target, and that's something that you might want to do. Or you might want to pray more, you might want to read more. Um, and we get into those type of specifics, and we'll talk in, uh, as time goes on this morning. But I believe everything would be resolved if we just kept it simple. What is it? That in everything I do, I just want to be pleasing to the Lord. I want to have God's approval on whatever it is I do. 
and not get bogged down in the, you know, for example, if you're reading through the Bible in a year and you miss a day, you can say, there it is, I blew the goal. But if you're pleasing to him, you're never going to miss the goal. You're never going to miss the goal. This term pleasing is used in the New Testament a number of different ways. And I'll just, I won't turn to them, but I'll, I'll refer you to them for a reason here. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 20, it speaks of children. And it says that children are to be pleasing. You know how? By obedience. And children know that. Children obey your parents. A child is pleasing to his parents when he obeys. In Titus chapter 2, verse 9, this term is used of pleasing. And what is it used in reference to? Slaves. Slaves are pleasing to their masters when they are submissive, something that we've already studied in Peter. By an action, I want you to catch that. The children become pleasing when they obey their actions. The slave becomes obedient, uh, pleasing to their master when they submit, when they submit to the rule. In, excuse me, Philippians chapter 4, verse 18, we find out that Paul refers to the gift that came through Epaphroditus as being pleasing to the Lord. Why? Because their actions supported what they felt for Paul by what they did. The one you're probably most familiar with is Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, right? We are to present our bodies a living sacrifice. We are to be transformed in our thinking and not conform to the thinking of the world. Why? Because it is well-pleasing to the Lord. The way we think, the way we give of ourselves, that will be pleasing and it will be doing the will of God. That's what God wants in our life. And in Romans chapter 14, verse 18, it's also used, where it's used as one that serves Christ, that we are to be acceptable and pleasing in his sight by serving Christ. In all cases that I just referred to, this idea of being pleasing, which is the ambition, which is the target, which is the goal that Paul has for his life and for the Corinthian saints, he has that as an aim. He has that as something to be targeted and to go for with all his energy, and he wants it to be seen in their life. And in every instance, this idea of pleasing has to do with the action that takes place in our life. So let me ask you right now, is that really your goal for 2015? Wherever you are, so that when you're on your job, some of you young people working at Market Basket or wherever it is you're working, some of you older folks on your job, when you're serving as a, a husband, as a wife, when you're serving as a parent or as a child, when you're serving by being involved with the music, when you're coming in the church, serving in the nursery, when we're doing these things, is that your ambition when we're thinking, when we're alone, when we're making decisions? Is that our ambition? that that decision that I make would please him. That the action that I take, where I go, what I do, how I treat that person, how I react in that circumstance. You see, you can have a long list of, you can have an ambition this year that I'm going to read through the Bible, and by the way, that's a good one. 
read through the Bible this year and, and say, I accomplished that, but were you really pleasing in everything else that you did? The greater target. You see, it's possible to sit down. I've done that. You have your devotions and you're rushing through because in your mind you're reading words, but your mind is just turning on everything else that's going on in your life. And, and, and what was that for? Or you're about to make a decision and you're not concerned so much whether or not it's morally correct or not morally correct because you just want to make this decision to please people. It can affect us in many, many different ways. Paul was a practical individual. And I would say to you that that would be a simple thing for us to set for 2015. That we make it our ambition to be pleasing to God. Now in saying that, we could end the message right here and I'll go home and have a great time. But I want you to see that I believe, because there's a lot of conclusions that Paul comes to. He uses the word therefore over and over again in this passage. And I want you to understand the context. Why? Paul, let me start with this, was a realist. Sometimes as Christians, we're not. We think everything has got to go smoothly. And so when I go into 2015, if I have a healthy new year, it was a great year. If I have a year where uh, certain accomplishments happen in my life, I had a good year. Not necessarily. He was a realist. I want you to see this. He knew that there would be opposition that he would face. When he's coming to this conclusion, I want to please God, I want you to go back to chapter 4 of 2 Thessalonians for a minute and look at verse 3. He knew something. You see, this is all building. Because in chapter 4, verse 3, he says this, And even if our gospel is veiled, notice that, it is veiled to those who are perishing. Paul had an ambition to preach the gospel. We saw that earlier. That's why I wanted to refer to that, one of his uses. He wanted to preach the gospel, but Paul was a realist. He knew that everybody that he witnessed to was not going to get saved. He knew that as he preached the gospel, it was going to be blindness on the part of human beings. Why? Because even as Paul said, that the natural man is blind. He cannot see. You and I may have an ambition to preach the gospel, okay? But we need to realize that we're preaching it to dead men. And it is absolutely impossible for us to open up their hearts. Sometimes we get frustrated, don't we? How can they not see it? I could see it. Yeah, right. Because of your intelligence? No. Because God opened up your heart. Man is totally dead. Totally blind. And he's God to intercede. He was a realist. He knew that it was veiled, but if it was veiled, he wasn't going to stop preaching. He was going to honor God and leave it to him. He knew it was even worse. Why? Look at verse 4. In whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ in the image of God. That's amazing. Paul was a realist. Paul looked at it and said, you know what? I know that, number one, man can't understand it. Number two, if that isn't bad enough, and if he isn't just dead, Satan is hard at work at blinding him even further. And so he knew that as a human being, they're blind. And with Satan working behind the scenes, they're doubly blind. And so he didn't turn around as a pessimist and say, I give up. 
We need to understand, me, understand that. Why? Again, let me get the practical aspect of it. You have the opportunity to witness, and somebody isn't receiving the gospel. Are you going to be pleasing to the Lord? And does that mean, Pastor Dan, you take the Bible and jam it down their throat? No. Might mean you just need to pray for them. It might, need you, might mean that you need to be careful how you react to their negativism when they turn around and say, you're an idiot. Oh, yeah? Well, enjoy hell. Great response. Great response, right? When we ought to understand that, you know, maybe, maybe I am a foolish person in your eyes, but I'll pray for you. And that's all you do when you say and you go away. He was a realist. He knew he would have opposition. He knew that he was weak. Look at chapter uh, 4, verse 7. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels. We are clay vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power of God will be of God and not from ourselves. That's what we want. He was a realist. He knew that even in and of himself, Paul was what? Chief of sinners. He was nothing. He wasn't above anybody else. He looked at himself as being the least of all the apostles. But he still had an aim to please God in all that he did. You see? He knew that as an individual, I have weakness in my body. I have physical weakness. I have mental weakness that affects me. Uh, it, this isn't my ability to be able to change lives. I am simply in this situation. Not only that, he knew that he faced persecution and affliction. Look at verse 8 of chapter 4. We are afflicted in every way, but we're not crushed. Perplexed, but not despairing. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus. Do you think he felt physical persecution? Yeah, if I recall right, he's going to say a little bit later in this book that he was beaten with rods, that he was shipwrecked, that he was naked, that he was destitute, that he was without food. Can you say that? No, but there are things that we face even physically. You know, my wife is here, but to use her as an example, just... There's no way that we knew last year that she would face hip replacement surgery. We didn't know that. Why? The body's weak. You may be facing all kinds of things. That doesn't mean you can't please God. You can be beaten with rods. You can still please God. You can find out that you got cancer. You can still please God. Somebody might persecute you at work. You can still please God. Paul was a realist. He knew I had this weakened vessel... And he knew he was going to face persecution. He knew he was going to be beaten down. He knew the blind that he was going to be given the gospel to were lost. He knew that Satan was working hard at keeping him blind. And nevertheless, he sought to please God in everything that he did. He had a weak body. Look at verse 10 forward. Always carrying about that, right? You go forward, jump down. Uh, get down to verse 17 for a minute where I read it, for this momentary light affliction is producing an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. Right? He had a focus. You know, people will resist the gospel. Satan will resist your walk. Will resist Christianity. And listen, we don't like this one. But our own flesh, never mind being persecuted, our own flesh is weak. We are weak. 
We are vulnerable. And James puts it this way. He says that sin is a result. Most of the time we want to blame Satan. We want to blame everybody else. But you know where it all starts? In our own lusts, James says. Paul knew he had the same weaknesses. That's why he would look at himself and say that he was such a great sinner. And you look at the Apostle Paul and you see all that was accomplished. Why? He knew realistically that his flesh was fighting him all the time. And in 2015, if the Lord gives us that year, every one of us starting right here in the pulpit are going to battle the flesh. And we're going to battle the resistance of Satan. But Paul knew that he still wanted to honor the Lord. So what did he do? Did he, have any, did he have any advice in this passage? Yes, I think he did. There are some things that we can do. There is some action that we can take. And actually it comes out in chapter 5, uh, beginning in verse 6, in the context that we're looking at. He says, and I'll go back to verse, uh, chapter 4 in a minute, but therefore being always of good courage, there's a start. Paul just happened to speak about the reality of we're still on earth, I desire to be in heaven, but I'm not in heaven yet. This body is weak. The persecution's going to come. The resistance is going to come. And he said, nevertheless, he said, take good courage. Don't lose heart. You know what happens sometimes with us as Christians? We quit. That's it. All the years I've served, and they don't care. I am not serving. Let someone else do it. Have you heard that? Ever said that? I've just had enough. I can't take any more. Oh, yes, you can. Don't lose heart. We don't surrender. We don't give up. That's where it starts. Paul didn't give up. Who was he talking to? The Corinthian church. What was the Corinthian church like? You remember from the first epistle? Fighting among themselves, taking one another to court, involved in immorality. All of those things going on, and Paul said, you're worthless. Not at all. He charged them with correcting those things, and even as he comes into his second epistle, and he had been encouraged by now, but he keeps reminding them that, you look, at you're weak, your body's weak, this world is against you, but take good courage. He said that in chapter 4 as well. Look at chapter 4, verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Go with me to chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, another conclusion. Man, he's killing us with these therefores. Since we have this ministry, in what? An earthen vessel. We, as we receive mercy, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced the things hidden because of shame and walking and craftiness. We don't adulterate the word of God. That's what he talks about. What does he say? I'm not going to lose heart. Because the pressure comes on and the, they resist the gospel, because the pressure comes on and I get persecuted, because my own flesh battles me, I am not going to lose heart because my strength is in Christ. That's where it begins, folks. Don't lose heart. Take good courage. Why? Because of our Savior. What he has begun, Philippians, right, in me, what he has begun in you, guess what? He will help me out, complete it, perfect it. He is not done with you. He's not done with me. And as we move into 2015, I can have as a goal to always please him. Will I face resistance? Yes. 
Will I face persecution? Possibly. Will I face a body that's breaking down? Absolutely. I don't care how healthy you think you are. You're going to face it. But you can please God. It starts with not quitting. It starts with looking to him and taking courage. Second practical thing I think he says for us. Go back to chapter 5. He not only says, be of good courage, always of good courage. Why? Knowing that at, while we're at home in the bo- uh, body, we're absent from the Lord. Why? We've got a destination. We'll get to that. But verse 7 is the next one. For we walk by what? Faith. How can I have that as the goal to always please him? Take good courage. Number two, walk by faith. We are not blind. People think faith is blind. Oh, yeah, you're a Christian. You believe. You, you, you don't even know what you believe. You just believe. Belief is built upon solid information. Don't ever discount knowledge. God gave us a brain to think, and the more information we have, even faith in Christ is based upon information because God has given us his word, and we take him for what he says. And what do you do? You walk by faith. When God says he will never forsake you, never leave you, do you believe that? Well, I do till a doctor talks to me. Right? Or I do till I have this tragedy in the home. Or I do until this thing happens or that thing happens. No. You're still to walk by faith. What do we believe? We believe the promises of God. Can that have a practical aspect in your life in 2015? How many times do you quote, you know, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding, in all your ways acknowledge him. I love that Hebrew word. In all your ways get acquainted with him, and he'll direct your paths. He didn't say to Paul, you're not going to face persecution. He didn't say you wouldn't have difficulties and resistance, but you walk with me. We talked about Daniel. That was courage. He took good courage. Here, Daniel, as you know, in chapter 1, he purposed in his heart he would walk with God. He didn't want to defile himself. He come to chapter 6, and he's walking with the Lord. He's distinguishing himself, and everybody says, we got to get this guy. I know how we'll get him. We'll get it so he basically can't pray anymore to his God or trust in his God anymore, and the king will seal the deal. We'll let the lions have a feast on him. So you know what Daniel does? He took courage. And if you remember the passage in Daniel 6, he knew what the decree was. He wasn't without knowledge. He knew it, and he knew that he was going to please God in everything that he did. And he walked by faith, and he continued praying, and guess where he ended up? In the lion's den. Trial. Absolutely. Human being could have been eaten alive. Yes. God protected him because he walked by faith. Since I mentioned Daniel, how about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? All of you young children have sung that song. You adults have known it well. Whether God protects us or not, I don't know. But I'm not bowing down to your statue. Throw us in. They were ready to die. They took good courage. What did they do? They walked by faith. Not blind faith. They knew God said, you don't bow down to anyone else but the one true living God. 
registered, I understand it, I will please him, burn my body. It's okay. I'll trust God. Now, God delivered them. I could give you instance after instance in Scripture where he didn't deliver them. And what's the whole point? It's walking by faith. Go with me to Hebrews chapter 11, quick. You know the chapter? But let's just highlight a few things. Watch this. Hebrews chapter 11. That's what pleasing God is. It's taking courage no matter what comes our way. It's walking by faith, and it isn't blind faith. I walk by what God says. If God says, love my wife, I love my wife. If God says, do my job, not to please men, but as unto the Lord, not having them watch over my shoulder, but just because I'm pleasing God, I do my job as it pleases him. So I do it to perfection, not just so-so. Hebrews chapter 11, we know what it says in verse 1, right? Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Have you seen heaven? No, but God says it's coming. Eternal life. How do I know that? I take God at his word. Look at it all. Verse 2. For by it men of old gained approval. See that? They were well pleasing. How do we know that the world, you know, that battle is still going on today? Creation versus evolution. <laughs> you know what? You might be shocked by this, some of you. But do you know how we know that the world was created by God? You ready? How? By faith. What? Look what it says, verse 3. By faith we understand that the worlds were prepared, how? By the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of the things which are visible. Sorry, it didn't happen by fish coming ashore, turning into a monkey, turning into you. And I mean that seriously. How do I know that? Because God said in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and by faith I believe in knowledge given to me by God. Verse 4, by faith Abel offered to God. Was that a trial? Absolutely. Verse 5, by faith Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death. Why? Because God took him up. He attained witness that he was what at the end of verse 5? Pleasing to God. Verse 7. By faith, Noah. How did he build the ark? What moved him? Faith. Verse 8. By faith, Abraham. And jump down to verse 32. I could go every single one of the verses. What more shall I say? For the time would fail me if I would tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson. On and on it goes. And it says basically they were weak but they were made strong by God. And what happened? The world wasn't even worthy. Look at verse 38. Men of whom the world was not worthy, wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. Did they have an easy life? No. But they were pleasing to God. How did they do that? They took courage even in the difficult situations. They walked by faith. And I'll give you this last one. Go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Verse 8. Now we are of good courage, I say, and here it is, 
and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. I'll give it to you this way. They took courage. We need to do that. Walk by faith. We need to do that. And thirdly, they had a heavenly vision or an eternal vision, not a temporary one. You know why sometimes as Christians we get bogged down? All of our vision is temporary. All of our goals are to be achieved by trying to get what we can out of this world. We don't focus in on the future. We don't focus in on being pleasing to the Lord or what eternal values are. And I would say as we move into 2015, our focus needs to be when we leave this world, we're going to be present with the Lord. And we need to see that. So Paul said that he wanted to be pleasing to the Lord. He walked by faith. He had a heavenly ambition, a vision, and that's why his ambition was whether he was home or whether he was here. He wanted to be pleasing to God. But the last thing is there was a motivation. And maybe we need this. Verse 10. The motivation was we are going to be accountable to God. Let me start with a believer, fellow believer. You realize that? Why do I want to have it as a target or goal to be pleasing to him when I make decisions, when I take actions, when I do things? And focus in on that. Not, not necessarily a to-do list, but one big target to be pleasing to him because we're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, verse 10. Paul includes himself. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ why? So that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. I happen to be at, I mentioned this last week, I happened to be at a funeral in Connecticut a week ago this past Saturday. And it was uh, a priest that did the funeral. And as he did the funeral, he used this verse. But he used this verse in the sense that he charged everybody to walk in good works because our good works will be judged and he did it as a general gunshot for everybody because that's how we'll get into heaven. It's not true. This is directed to believers. Paul included himself. Let me give you this distinction. There are two judgment seats. There's the judgment seat of Christ in which all believers will stand before and there's a great white throne judgment in which all unbelievers will stand before before they go to hell. The book of Revelation. The only ones that face no condemnation according to Romans chapter 8 is those who are in Christ Jesus. And if you want to be pleasing to God and you haven't yet believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, it's impossible for you to be pleasing to him because you haven't believed the first thing that he said to you. And that was quoted this morning. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. To have eternal life, to have the vision that Paul had, you first need to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And you have to have faith in that work that was accomplished by Christ on the cross in satisfying the righteousness of God. The unbeliever will be accountable. You may be sitting here today and say, I don't believe God exists and I don't believe I'm going to face him. That will not change the reality of you dying it will not change the, re change the reality of you standing before him 
and you will be alone. And if you're not in Christ, you will face the lake of fire on the authority of God's word. But what about the believer? This, what is done, good or bad, is, as you have learned, if you've been with us for the past couple of months, the believer has been saved unto good works. We don't get into heaven based on good works, but we are to perform good works. How, how does that work? It works by trusting in Christ, and now we live for him, and we perform good works in that sense, to be pleasing to him. This judgment is mandatory. This judgment is for all believers, and also each of us will give an account. That ought to be an incentive for 2015. That when I leave, and Paul knew that, when I leave this body and am present with the Lord, which Paul preferred, by the way, he says that in Philippians. It was better to be home with the Lord, but he knew that the Lord wanted him here, as he said to the Philippians, so he could carry on his ministry. But as much as he wanted to be with the Lord, he also knew, and he made it very clear in Scripture, that even though he knew nothing wrong, and even in his motives, he would leave that to God, who would examine everything, even for the motives of why he did what he did. That was an incentive for Paul to what? Make it his ambition, to make it his target, to make it his goal. So I would challenge us, even as believers, that believers, we will stand and give an account for what we've done since salvation. By the way, I didn't turn there, but according, as it uses it in the passage of teachers in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and it says, would be saved, the teachers would be saved by fire, yet as by fire, though the works can be burnt up. Assuring us that we belong to the Lord, we will always belong to the Lord. But we will be evaluated. So make it your ambition for 2015. Make it your goal. Make it your target. I want to do that. We ought to do it as a church. You ought to do it as an individual. To make it your target and ambition in 2015, I would suggest to be pleasing to him. If that's it, if that's the one target and goal, it'll affect every day what you do. What you do, what you say, what you think, how you treat people, how you react to circumstances, when there's resistance, when your own flesh challenges you. So I would challenge us that as Paul challenged the Corinthians, Though we are absent from the Lord, whether absent or home, we want to make it our target. We want to make it our goal to be pleasing to him. I trust that you'll want to do that because if you do, 2015 will be a blessing whether or not you're home with the Lord in 2015 or whether the Lord tarries and we continue on the ministry here on earth. Might God help us to be pleasing to him in all that we do. Let's pray. Our Father in God, I thank you and praise you for the Apostle Paul. Lord, I look at him as a mighty warrior, a mighty man of God, and yet he was weak in the flesh just like we are. Faced resistance when he preached the gospel. Knew Satan was sent even to buffet him. Knew his flesh was weak. Yet he took courage. He took courage in the Lord Jesus Christ and in you working in his life. He walked by faith. Trusting in your revealed word. And Father, he really had a focus on eternal values. Lord, help that to be true of us as we enter into 2015. And we pray that our personal lives, that our church life, 
would be pleasing in your sight, that you would get all the honor and glory so that the day comes in which even as believers we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, we might have rewards to your honor and glory, that we might just be able to rejoice for all eternity, that we made it as our goal to please you. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. We just trust you'll have a blessed new year as 2015 comes.